Hey, welcome to the Conversations You Go podcast. Uh, this week, we're jumping on with our series on courageous women and the idea of affirming women in ministry and leadership. And uh, we've got the, the treat of bringing someone who I have uh, heard before speak and noted when I heard her to actually bring her onto the podcast sometime. And this was some time ago. That's uh, Professor Jacqueline Gray. She's a professor of biblical studies at Alpha Crucis University College. And she uh, she's also a research fellow, Center of Pentecostal uh, Theology in Cleveland, Tennessee, I think that is. Is that right? Yeah. And, and she's also the research fellow, Department of Biblical and Ancient Studies in the University of South Africa. And she's an editor in the Australasian Pentecostal Studies. Now, there are a lot of titles there, but I want to welcome the person, Jackie, to our podcast. Welcome, Jackie. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Jackie, beyond all those titles and those roles, introduce yourself to us so we know the person. Well, I love Jesus. Uh, At the heart of it, uh, the titles don't matter (laughs) because uh, the core of who I am is someone who is a follower of of Jesus. Um, I can tell you a bit about my background if that helps. So um, my parents actually became Christians when I was quite young. So I was about four or five years old and it was a quite a dramatic change in our family. I'm the youngest of three, and I remember um, the, the the rubbish bin being passed around, and our Buddhist statues we had in the home, and our star sign necklaces that we wore all went in the rubbish bin. And uh, our family started attending church, and uh, it was quite a remarkable way that my parents came to, to faith. And so and so from about four or five years old, I grew up in the, the church. Uh, it was a charismatic uniting church. And so uh, my parents were very involved. And I'm really grateful that everything that my parents learned, they taught us kids. So they didn't see us as being it is so mature that we couldn't understand concepts like prayer, uh, even intercessory prayer, so being able to pray for others. Uh, they, they taught us everything that they learned because they were new Christians and they were excited about what they were learning. And so growing up, there was a sense of, oh, I, I can do anything to serve God and uh, whatever God calls me to, then that's what I should, that's what I should do. I should listen to, to God's voice and, and try and obey it. Uh, then I hit my teenage years and I began to look around and see that, well, there really weren't any women in leadership around. So uh, by that stage, we're at actually at a different church, still a charismatic uniting church in the Blue Mountains. And I began to think, oh, well, maybe I can't serve God the way that I feel that actually God's calling me to, which was it had strong leadership gifts on, on my life, um, which Maybe some might just call me bossy, but there's <laughs> a sense of being able to you know, give direction and, and, and have demonstrate leadership skills. Uh, I was very involved in the youth group and seeing that um, revitalized at the time when we moved to that church. Uh, and so, but I looked around and there really weren't any women. And so I thought, oh, maybe um, I didn't know what I could do then. and But I did notice that there were some missionary women who seemed quite bold and who were very eloquent. And so I thought, oh, well, if I'm going to serve God, maybe I have to be a missionary. 
And so I actually began to pursue that pathway. So I ended up uh, after high school going to university. I studied linguistics uh, and literature at university. I got involved in student ministry. And that's when uh, I moved down to, to the city and uh, started attending a Pentecostal church. Uh, and so I began to be involved in the student ministry and I ended up uh, being the student leader of our campus group and began to just really, I guess, flourish in ministry roles. And so I ended up staying on uh, after I graduated to be a student worker uh, with that, that student ministry group and, and loved being able to serve God in, in whatever way was um, possible, whatever way was, was open, whatever doors opened. Uh, I ended up being appointed as sort of the chaplain. So this is what at Sydney University, it was with a group called Students for Christ. Uh, and then I felt really challenged one day that if I was serious about this ministry work, then perhaps I should go to do some Bible college. I should do some Bible training. And so I looked around and ended up at what was Southern Cross College, which is now Alpha Crucis College and Alpha Crucis University College, uh, and enrolled there uh, and uh, began to study. And I loved it. I loved learning about God's Word, and there was a sense that uh, I was definitely called to ministry. I still didn't know what it would look like. But while I was studying, uh, one of the lecturers in particular uh, began to encourage me to think about teaching. And my initial response was, oh, no thanks, because at that stage, actually, all the teachers were male at the at the college. And again, there were no female role models that I could see. And so I sort of politely declined. And then he kept suggesting it. And eventually I did the uh, Christian brush-off statement, which was, um, I'll pray about it. And so then I thought, well, I better pray about it now that I've told him that I would. And I did, and I, I did feel actually God... Um, encouraging me to think about that pathway and to actually that that the expression of ministry that perhaps I was called to what might be teaching uh, and so I began to explore that option I had to then think through all of the biblical uh, passages about teaching and to work through many different issues that um, in terms of what the Bible said about it and, and talked with many of the different lecturers about that. So I had to, I guess, I went through my own journey of, of having to navigate the biblical, what the Bible says about these different issues about women in ministry and women teaching. Um, but I felt that, yes, I was, that the Spirit was calling me in that direction and that was affirmed by others around me. And so I ended up then uh, continuing my studies in uh, doctoral level and eventually became uh, a full-time lecturer at the college. And since then, I've seen many women come through and also join the faculty and many women released into ministry roles and leadership roles, both in Australia and, and overseas. Uh, but that wasn't the end of the, the missions um, calling uh, because I still had a heart for missions. And so I would, uh, during my holiday leave, go and do missions work and uh, be involved in sometimes teaching overseas or doing other, other work. Uh, but about in about 2014, uh, I felt the Lord sort of tap me on the shoulder and, and say, uh, 
your time to do missions work is is actually coming up. Uh, I had a friend call me out of the blue, actually a friend who I went to university with and say, I just really sense that I was praying for you and I really sense God saying, don't forget the missions call that you had as a teenager. My brother-in-law encouraged me. He said uh, he was praying for me and I'm not going to stay at college uh, in the same capacity I was for, for long. And so there was all these sort of in- uh, I guess signposts and sort of encouragements that uh, that missions call that I had thought I was fulfilling as as a lecturer um, was sort of was was yet to sort of was take a new turn uh, and so I prayed about that more and and so uh, I ended up uh, in 2015 moving to Izmir in Turkey. And so I was involved in a church planting team uh, there and involved in uh, working with uh, different groups there uh, and ended up serving there for three and a half years. Uh, But due to several different reasons, ended up coming back to Australia uh, at the end of 2019, beginning of of 20. yeah, around that time, uh, and have been back then at the college uh, teaching uh, once more there. So it's sort of been a, a roundabout journey, and and uh, you know very I'm very thankful to the Lord for the way that He has led me and uh, and the opportunities that that I've had. So that's a bit about me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, what a great story. And in Turkey, obviously, a, a heart for Islamic people and a, and a heart for pe- that people might know. And um, that's that's really exciting. Um, but, you know, you mentioned some things there that you are a woman and you teach. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, there is um, there is a whole stream out there of people that would, would say, that's not right. You know, and and there's uh, there's um, uh, in some circles we we see some women really um, hitting sometimes glass ceilings, sometimes not so invisible <laughs> barriers, uh, very clear barriers. Um, let's talk about the current challenge for women in ministry, as you see it, Jackie, and uh, the context of often women having no place of leadership in the church. The the history of mission is. Is filled with with women in Western circles uh, in the eighteen hundreds and and beyond. Just outstanding women having to go out to the mission field, and because there was no place for them at home, and what they could do on the mission field was celebrated, but they couldn't do that back at home in England, or they couldn't do that back home in Australia. So we have these outstanding stories of women in mission who are doing amazing things and then come back and can't even even speak in their local church. And uh, I hope we've progressed a long way since that time. But um, tell us some of your reflection of the current challenge of women in ministry. Yeah, I think you've you've hit on so many of the the key ideas there. I think for for many women that feel called to ministry, uh, there's there's two main challenges often that they face. Uh, well, three main challenges actually, I should say. So, first one is that uh, they they may feel called, but there's a lack of certainty for many women regarding what the Bible says about ministry for, for women and particularly teaching ministry or senior ministry roles that there's perhaps a, a theological uncertainty you could say or a, a uncertainty regarding what the bible says we have a, a few different texts they, they see women all through the bible but then there's a few different texts that seem to restrict women and so 
sometimes uh, for women and men, we don't know what to do with those passages. And so there's the, the, the biblical aspect. There's also, for some women as well, cultural restrictions that they face. Uh, and that's not just in contexts overseas, it's also in Australia. So I, I mentioned sort of the little joke about being bossy. Uh, so it, it's, it's a challenge for women on how to express their leadership, how to move into leadership roles and, and, and not be considered overbearing or if you're a woman of a, an older age then you become in you know, a sort of the Karen or the bossy bossy older woman or or whatever and so there's sort of cultural expectations on what women can do and or what women should be like or how they should act uh, that can sometimes be quite limiting for women and we're not sure then how to express uh, the the giftings uh, especially if there have not been many women role models for them uh, on how to do that. And so there's cultural restrictions and expectations uh, that sometimes women face. And then thirdly, there's just some of the practical um, challenges that women face. So for example, if uh, a young younger woman during childbearing years uh, has kids, then how does she manage? Um, how does she juggle her work-life balance and how does she inter- engage uh, with her husband uh, 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 about this? And there's lots of different challenges, just practical challenges that, that women face then uh, as they are entering into ministry and, and, and doing ministry. So I think that there's sort of a number of different different challenges that women face and uh, different phases in their life and according to, I guess, their context as well. Yeah. Yeah, you've talked about the Bible uh, and some of those um, difficult scriptures that we're going to dive into a bit later in this podcast. You talked about um, you know, cultural issues and then age and stage issues. And I also think there's um, the the idea of the church being out of step um, with our culture in so many areas of empowerment of women. We see women prime ministers and women in top levels of many areas of leadership. And I know one uh, CEO who's an, an outstanding lady who's a CEO but wouldn't be welcome to speak in her own church. Um, and yet she's got this uh, incredible influential leadership role in in secular culture and um so there's this disparity and that that i think sometimes women are having to navigate where we see a great empowerment uh happening in our culture of women and yet they're they're hitting these barriers of of of, um uh uh, difficulties with scripture and our traditions in the churches denominations have certain traditions and yeah um Okay, so we're we're in this situation, and I don't know. Do you want to make any more f- comment on that, Jackie? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the great ironies that the church is sort of behind the world now in many respects in in that in that way of in terms of the empowerment of women and acceptance of women in ministry. When it actually was, in fact, the church that led the way for for many, uh, you know, throughout time, uh, we see that. In comparison, I mean, even just how Jesus treated women, for example, was just so countercultural, was so revolutionary, when most rabbis would not even uh, allow a woman to be taught. Jesus encourages Mary to sit at his feet and and, and to learn. Like there's no other rabbi recorded uh, that would allow and encourage women to be disciples and to be learners. And so we have this really revolutionary, countercultural, uh, just you know, 
narrative and description in, in the Bible of what went on at the time of Jesus and, and, and the church in the first century and the empowerment of, of women, women doing all sorts of things that were just not heard of in, in their culture in the church and then throughout the centuries, uh, quite remarkable women leaders. And then, uh, of course, at the turn of the last century, uh, the with the, the rise of what became the feminist movement, it was actually church women at, at the forefront Um because they would read their Bible and they would see that God um, has gifted women and they would then want to see that outworked in the community. And so here we have women at the forefront uh, of social change and, and, and encouragement and empowerment of women and yet historically and yet now in so many places it's the opposite. Um so it, it's, yeah, it, it's a little bit sad in that sense uh, where the church could be leading in this space and it's because of the church, it's because of uh, the, the biblical and what the Bible says that historically we've seen this, um, you know, sort of real transformation for women uh, and yet we've kind of, the church has sort of, I think, stumbled a bit in this area. Diving back into the world of the New Testament and uh, for us to understand the context of what was going on before we talk about how Jesus worked with his disciples or the the early church and the many women we see there. Let's paint a picture here of, of what was the world that um, Jesus walked in and Paul walked in uh, and the cultural context and the understandings of roles of women back then. So in the New Testament, we've got two main different cultural groups. We've got the Jewish culture at the time of, of Jesus. And then as the gospel goes out to uh, the broader, you know, beyond Jerusalem, and they start to engage then in the Greco-Roman culture. Uh, and so we see though there were some common cultural aspects to both in, in both groups. So in, in both groups, um, you know, women were not con- considered equal uh, with, with, with men. Uh, women it was often were, were married quite young. They received very little education. Uh, in fact, for in Jewish culture, girls could attend the synagogue, but they couldn't study the Torah, whereas boys were taught to memorize the Torah. Uh, there was opportunity for them to, to learn. Uh, even maybe they could learn from a rabbi, whereas for, for girls there was no opportunity to receive uh, education uh, in that sense, all except for one rabbi, as we as uh, Jesus that we noted. But uh, generally, uh, women were and um, had less rights. Uh, even so, for example, uh, the testimony in a court of law, a, a woman's testimony, was not considered valid because uh, they were somehow considered to be. Uh, not reliable as a, as a witness, uh, whereas uh, Greco-Roman world was was quite similar in some sense. So women had a little bit more access to education, it seems. But even high-status women in the Greco-Roman world had uh, really very little education beyond fourteen years of age. That's usually when she was married off, uh, and so they didn't have ed- women just weren't weren't educated, and so meant that they didn't know how to they, not only that they weren't taught but they didn't know how to learn they they didn't know the rules around being a student and what that meant and so they were married quite young their husband was probably 10 or more years older and so sometimes they were seen more as a, a daughter or a 
kind of a teenager girl to a mature man. And so uh, you have this sort of um, disparity. And so then, of course, it was accepted and, and normal that, uh, you know, the woman would be subservient to, to the man because she was an inferior, both in age, in education, in maturity, in, in all those ways. So um, we see that education, even just looking at education, we see kind of a, a snapshot into the world and, and what it was like for, for women. Um, it was also very much an honor-shame society, which many cultures in the world still today are. So uh, we see that then uh, women's, um, and it becomes very important that the, the woman is modest and that she's not shaming her husband in, in any way. And a lot of the cultural expectations were framed around ensuring that, that women um, did not dishonor uh, their families or, or, or the men in particular. And there's a, a real focus on women not shaming or, or dishonoring their families uh, often in, in those cultures. And so we sort of get a bit of a picture, I guess, of the, the world of um, the New Testament when we begin to, to think through uh, what it would have been like on in, in reality for, for so many women. Um, hmm. Even just simple things like um, women, uh, young baby baby girls were were not valued because women were were not valued. So there's sort of a, a practice that we're aware of in the Greco-Roman world, where that the father uh, or the, the male head of the house would, uh, whether that's sort of a grandparent or, or the father, if a, when a child was born, he would decide whether that baby would live or not. And usually for the girls, they would not be allowed to live, and so they would put the babies. Uh, out on the you know, on the street or on the rubbish heap uh, to to die, so because uh, they were not wanted, uh, it was expensive um, for a you know a family to raise a child, and so uh, the girls would be discarded, and so uh, that meant that there weren't actually as many women uh, to to be married off to. Uh, it becomes a problem later, but we see that because of this emphasis on uh, having having male. Is and, and this lack of sort of, I guess, um, respect or a sense of, of equality for women, women, uh, young young baby girls were often discarded. Uh, and that actually becomes a big part of uh, how Christians bring, bring change to the Greco-Roman Empire because they begin rescuing uh, these babies that are left out and uh, because they see that uh, all people are made in the image of God and these baby girls are important to God uh, and shouldn't just be discarded. So, yeah, so um, I guess we see a little bit of some of the cultural understandings of women and, and, and men that help us to then understand uh, the greater world of the New Testament. It's a pretty tough gig being born as a woman and in, in those days and and uh, wealthy or not wealthy, um, yeah. you know, having the expectation if you if you make it uh, past that 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 process of elimination that was uh, terrible, um, and then to be brought up and then by the time you're early teens, you're you're expected to get married and produce children, or or there are other roles that and uh, uh, yeah, and that was it, kind of that's your role. Yeah, I, I guess for most women though, that's all they knew, so they didn't think anything of it or didn't didn't question it or think of an alternative sort of way of life because that was that was normal hmm yeah and so it's in that kind of world that is is really for some of us a long way from where we are today um 
um, that we we discover um, the the world of the New Testament. And um, um, now, so let's jump into uh, dive deep here and deal with some biblical perspectives here. Um, I want to ask you a very pretty simple but obvious question: Are women important to God, and and why? Absolutely, women are important to God. So, And we get that in the very first chapter of the Bible, that women and men are made in the image of God. Uh, they're both uh, called to be stewards. They're both called uh, to uh, be um, caretakers of, of, of the earth. Uh, and women and men together, are, in a sense, are both needed to, to be able to reflect the, the full image of God as well. Uh, so we know, under, understand that God as a trinity is relational. And so, of course, then that's reflected in our community. And so uh, men and women all contribute to the community, um, both, there, I guess, in the micro in marriage, but also within the church and within the, the wider society uh, as their um contributors to, to community life. But uh, we see that it's women are important to God because they're made by God and they reflect fully the image of God. Yeah, yeah. And that, that really, the foundation is right there in Genesis 1, isn't it? Mm. It's the idea that the image is there. And when he says, let us make man in our image, uh, that, that Trinity speaking. And then he, got, he doesn't just just um, uh, make men and then as the afterthought create women, which we, if we jump to Genesis chapter 2, could be there. But right in Genesis 1, he says, so the, he made male and female. And this is the image of God. And, um, and uh, that, that, that image is, is really sacrosanct to, in, in our sense of this is what God looks like and that, that they, they are to multiply and fill the earth. His image is to fill the earth. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a real foundational value statement in our in our culture that, that women and men both reflect. And are meant to live in harmony, really, and reflect something amazing. Yes, yep. Mm. And we see all throughout the Bible God speaking to women, God acting on behalf of women, so advocating for women, uh, defending women, um, empowering women to uh, to act and to, to speak themselves as well. And so we see all throughout the biblical text, God's love and care for women. Um, is Are women important to God? Yes, as well, because Jesus died for women as well. <laughs> and so uh, salvation is available for women and men. And so uh, we see that God's God's heart is for His His people, um, and I think that's so important because it's not about you know when when we come to these sort of topics and and sometimes we can feel like it's becomes it, it can be seem divisive as though it's a mm. you know men versus women or women versus men, but it's actually not meant to be that way. And and well, certainly my heart is that it's actually that the whole church will flourish, and so if one part of the church is not able to, to to flourish and to you know be able to really serve God to, to the fullness of their ability and capacity then the whole church suffers uh, the whole body suffers and so to me this this whole topic is actually about the flourishing of the church we we have a very clear idea I think implanted in our minds of a masculine view of God but just just diving into the Old Testament there 
Um, can you point us to some feminine images of God? Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, it's, it's not overflowing with uh, with feminine images of God, and 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 certainly the Bible uses um, masculine uh, language so for for God. But we do see some really important images throughout the Bible or ways of describing God that are in the feminine, uh, using feminine imagery. And so one of the uh, classic examples is in the book of Exodus, where it talks about how God carried them uh, out of Egypt and carried them on eagles' wings. And it's a, a mother bird is is what's being described there, uh, carrying the, the young eaglet, the young baby birds uh, from, you know, clutching them from a, a a, a place where they're vulnerable and, and taking them to sort of the, the nest, I guess, is the, the picture that's described there. And that same picture of, of hovering is actually the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, of course, the Holy Spirit is ruach, a feminine word. Uh, um, and so we see that there's sort of the, the feminine uh, idea of the Holy Spirit as the giver of life, um, so some, some connection there. Um, but that idea of the, the hovering uh, and, and, and the life-giving uh, nature of this mother bird. Uh, we see some different examples of God being like a mother uh, in Isaiah. In particular, there's a number of different images. Um, God, the all-sufficiency one, sort of seems to be referring uh, to um, God as sort of the uh, the one who sort of nourishes, like a mother breastfeeding. Uh, we see, yes, there's so many different um, examples and, and images and metaphors that are used of God throughout the Bible that uh, encourage us to, and, and I think challenge us to, to think about who God is and the nature of God um, and remind us that God is not human. God is neither male nor female. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie. God is um, spirit and, and, and God is different to humanity. And I think that these images sometimes can surprise us and, and remind us of uh, that we are the creation and God is the creator and not to get them confused. Yeah, that's a, that's a, such a beautiful picture of the of a picture of God being so much more than even a mother and her his uh, uh, care and nurture for people. That's that's fantastic. It's been such a fabulous conversation so far, and this is going to be part one of two parts with Jackie. And as we discuss the role of women and the importance of a biblical perspective of women in ministry and women uh, in the world today. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Make sure you tune into the next one, which will come out the following week. Um, but Jackie, would you like to just finish us off in this first podcast of something from your heart to the listener as we're talking about this vital and important area of women? Thank you. So what I would like to really emphasize is we've been talking about the challenges that women face in as, as leaders, some of the challenges in terms of the what the Bible says, some of the challenges in terms of the cultural context and, and even practical challenges. But I really want to encourage both the men and women who are listening that uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out and we see that uh, the Spirit is given to women and men 
given to young and old, uh, given to no matter what racial group you're part of. And, and, and even as the early church, they struggled to, to grapple the full implications of, of, of that. But what we see is that the Spirit is poured out and, and Spirit empowers and, and gives both men and women for the flourishing of the church. And at the end of the day, God is wanting to see the church grow. God is wanting to see the gospel taken out to the ends of the earth. And uh, we need all people, all hands on deck. We need all people involved in doing that, men and women, young and old. And so this whole question really, I think, is about actually seeing the church grow and seeing the gospel proclaimed and ensuring that we're not hindering um, our brothers or our sisters uh, from fulfilling the calling and the purpose in doing that. And so I hope that you'll be encouraged if you, no matter what situation you're in, uh, to uh, know that you're called and, and the Spirit empowers you and that the purpose for that is that you will uh, be involved in the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. <laughs>